Welcome to Taking the Helm with Lynn McLaughlin. We're making the emotional well-being of our children and youth the number one priority. Lynn and her guests are helping us learn and model proven healthy emotional habits to become rock-solid support systems for ourselves, our families, and communities. Now, here's your host. Thank you again for joining us as we take the helm. I need to start today with a thank you, a shout out to all of you. We are growing thousands of followers. It is so validating. And I want to thank those of you who've sent me an email asking for specific information, for follow-up information, or giving us some ideas on other types of things that you'd like to learn about. This podcast is one thing that we do to bring you information for parents, for educators, for anyone who's interested in children's emotional well-being, which I think should be all of us to some degree, right? Depending upon our own circumstances. If you go to my website, lynnmclaughlin.com, and that's M-C-L-A-U-G-H, like laugh, L-I-N, you will see that we have the radio show. We have the children's book series called The Power of Thought that I co-authored with my niece, who's a practicing social worker. And you'll hear more about that during the break. We also have a mental health resources page, all the facts that you need to know. And if you've ever considered taking a mental health first aid course, it's available to you there, as well as links to Mindful Schools, School Mental Health in Action, Ontario Health, Sick Kids Center for Community Health, and so much more. Now, if you're interested in research specific to children's mental health or change agents, people who have that level of expertise, we've got a whole page on that as well. The Wait Until 8th program, the research out of Boston University, the Library of Parliament Research Publications in Canada, and the current opinion in pediatrics around mindfulness. It's all there for you. And if you want to join our community, I only send one email out a month. I promise you, unless there's something spectacular happening and you'll get a free download called 30 Days of Writing Prompts. When I was diagnosed with a brain tumor 10 years ago, those prompts got me through the most challenging time in my life. And I hope they help any of you. Now let's do a quick recap. Uh, Wisteria Edwards joined us in our last episode, and she's a teacher who helped us see that when we are triggered or reactive towards someone, including our students, we need to pause and ask ourselves why. It's very well maybe something from our own childhood that we need to become aware of. And every behavior has a reason. And creating classrooms where children feel emotionally connected creates a space where children and youth feel safe. And I love the question, what can this student teach me? It really changes our perspective. If you've missed that show, you can tune in anytime at your own convenience. It's my honor and pleasure this week to welcome Jenna Ponte Jockis with us. She is an internationally recognized landscape architect. Yes, this is a very different conversation, but a much needed one we're going to have today. She's a nature play expert who teaches parents, early childhood educators, and others how to create sensory-rich, nature-based play and learning spaces for children so they can grow in their bodies, their minds, and spirits. Jenna has spent her 22-plus year career designing children's nature play and learning spaces for children of all abilities and diversities and specializes in designing supportive environments for children with autism and other neurodiversities. She's the founder of N is for Nature Play and the proud mom of twins. She lives in a pink farmhouse on several acres outside of Spokane, Washington. Hi, Jenna. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. We appreciate you <laughs> joining us today. This is a conversation I've wanted to have for quite some time. Oh, yeah, my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, okay, let's delve deep into what you offer. And I'm going to ask you some some really important questions about learning environments and schools and child care centers and how we can re-envision what that looks like for kids. Perfect. Perfect. Right, we need it. Yeah, we do. Let's start with the why. What brought you to this passion and purpose, Jenna? Yeah, um, you know, I, I'm lucky. It started like at the beginning of my career, this this interest, this passion. Um when I was starting my master's work, I had the good fortune of going down to a conference in Sacramento, and we did a half-day field trip to two different places in Sacramento. One was the Mind Institute, uh, which is a, like a clinical therapeutic facility where they're, um, the folks they serve, children, um, all are on uh, autism spectrum somewhere. The second place we went to was an ABC school, and their entire student population is on the spectrum somewhere. And so at both places, as a landscape architect, I'm like, well, these are great buildings. This is great programming. But what about the outside? How are they using the outside environments to support 
kids with autism because I was just starting to learn about it. And I should say back then in 2004, the rates were one in 250 kids were diagnosed somewhere on the spectrum. Now today it's one in 36. Mm. But back then, one in 250, I realized like the design industry, my industry does not have, I mean, this is an issue back in 2004 and earlier, but my design industry does not have this on the radar and it needs to be on a radar and fast. And so I went home and of course there was no, hardly any resources or no resources at least that dealt with, you know, outside environments and how they can support children uh, with neurodiversities. And so I read everything I could from uh, the medical field, from the therapeutic industry, occupational therapists, parents, educators, uh, you name it. Um, I read as much as I could on it so that I could translate that information to designing outside, designing supportive play and learning spaces, because that's what my passion was. And so little did I realize my passion was truly how to design supportive environments for all children. Because when you design for kids with autism and kids with neurodiversities, they create amazing spaces for all kids, which means they're inclusive. And that's what we want. <laughs> Absolutely. I love the expression essential for some good for all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, there's my teacher right. hat. Yeah. Yeah. So, you yep. know, when I hear you explaining it, I think, and it's probably because I've got my administrator hat as a principal, when we put an inclusive playground in our, in our schoolyard, which doesn't happen anymore. Playgrounds aren't occurring in Ontario. We've moved to outdoor learning spaces. And right. uh, yeah, that started, I don't know, Jenna, 10 years ago, where we started thinking about the structure of playgrounds and accessible ramps and mm -hmm. swings. Am yeah. I, was it longer than that? Uh, no, that sounds right. That sounds about right. Same with the U.S. Um, I think we're a little bit behind you guys. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. The, uh, and, and when I'm talking about, you're talking, I think what you're talking about is inclusive playgrounds, which is posted in the flat platforms and the slides and the metal yes. and plastic. Yeah. Yeah. And while those have value, they're, they're very one dimensional and they do not give kids the developmental sensory value that the outdoor, like the nature-based play spaces that you and I are talking about. Very different. So I just want to make sure plan. that your listeners are distinguishing between the two. They're very different. That's why I asked the question. That's wonderful. Yeah. Okay, so I this blew me away because uh, you know I'm I'm a co-author of a children's book series, and one of the books we've written on the power of thought is I can check my senses, and we we had five senses. I have learned from you that kids actually have seven physical senses. Well, we have we well we and we even have more than seven, oh. but there are seven <laughs> there are seven physical senses that have to do uh, that directly tie to our ability to understand our external environments and to navigate them so that we thrive in our daily lives. And so it's the five classic senses that we all know and love, like sight, touch, taste, smell, and sound. Mm -hmm. But then there are two more. And if you've ever worked with an occupational therapist, you'll know about the vestibular system Yes, and our proprioceptive system or proprioception. And so the vestibular system and, and parents need to know about these too, because when I explain this, you'll go, oh my gosh, my kid does that. This makes so much sense. So the vestibular system is located in our inner ear and it has to do with our um, our head's location relative to gravity. And so it's our system that tells us if we're right side up, upside down or sideways. And if you've ever had vertigo. Yeah, that's that what was coming a, to my mind. <laughs> yeah. Very unhappy vestibular system, right? And so kids need, um, they need to spin, they need to swing. They, their bodies crave this information because it it tells them how they can move um, and it, when they give uh, get more of the right kind of vestibular system it gives them great body confidence because they can move their body in all sorts of big movement ways um, and so uh, if you're talking about a child um, perhaps experiencing neurodiversity and they have a sensory sensitivity they might be sensitive like overly sensitive hypersensitive to movement and so you have to um, find activities where they can dial that down and have less intense experiences, they still need that information, but they need it in a different way. And then sense number seven is the proprioceptive system. And this one's really interesting because it has to do with a couple things. So it has to do, it's our body awareness system. 
And so where our bodies are at relative to the things around us, where our limbs are at relative to our core, that is all our internal brain communicating with our muscles and joints and all of this. And it also has to do with um, the use of force or pressure to do activities like coloring with a crayon. You, you, you squeeze it too hard, you're going to break it. And the example I always give is, you know, I'm thirsty. There's a paper cup of water in front of me. It's my proprioceptive system. My brain's communicating to my muscles and joints and tendons all the way down to my fingertips how to pick up that paper cup of water without squishing it or without letting it slide through my fingers. So proprioceptive system has to do with so many things, big body movements, gross motor skills, but also really like intricate fine motor skill development. So it's a really fascinating thing. And so when you combine, when you create or enhance a child's outdoor play and learning space intentionally to give them intentional sensory experiences, you can hit all seven senses. They don't even know it. They're having fun. They're having a good time, but their bodies and their nervous systems are being fed in all the right ways so that they can do all of those wonderful things to the, I always say they can learn to their greatest potential. They can play to their greatest ability and they connect, they can connect in the way that's most meaningful and deep for them. So that's, that's the power of the senses. <laughs> oh, I just had so many things going. I was thinking, oh, we're on the right track. We're on the right track. But again, it was, so I think about, you know, sensory rooms, sensory play, snoozle in rooms that have occurred. Uh, you mentioned occupational therapy. And uh, there, I see connections between all, all of the other five senses that I had a preconceived notion existed uh, in all of what you said. And mm-hmm. so my question, my next question is by being outdoors in play feeds the mind and our mental health and being a proactive when kids experience that at a younger age. Help us understand why, why that's so important. Oh, well, you're talking about nature and we are part of nature. Nature is us. We are nature. And so it, that's, it feels good for us to be outside. It feels good to connect. And that's for a, a number of reasons, part of which we are, we are a part of nature and we have separated ourselves from it. Have you, you've heard of the concept of grounding? Yes. And I think it's one, one of our of books your, is called books. I Can Ground Myself. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so um, if you, or if your kids have a chance to put their, your bare feet on the ground, um, digging in the dirt, going swimming in a lake, all of these things connect us to the, um, the frequency of the earth. And that is the frequency our bodies naturally run at. And so when we can connect with the earth, we slow down and connect with that natural frequency instead of being in our heightened state, checking emails and going through a Facebook feed and that sort of thing. Yeah. And calming. so, yeah, it is totally calming. And for kids, um, nature quite literally communicates with them through their senses in, in the ways that I already described. Um, our, our nervous system is our sensory detection system. And so through all of these different uh, senses, kids are connecting with nature and feeling a part of something bigger, feeling that calm. And when you're talking about kids who are uh, have been traumatized or in counseling or working through issues or or whatever, one of the most powerful places you can take them is out into a garden or out into a park so that they can connect with nature. And if you're working with them through something, you know, um, you know, having a session with them or something, it's so much more powerful if you can take them outside to do that because you have the healing power of nature working in collaboration with you to create this healing experience or, or, you know, the next step in their healing journey for the Yeah. And I appreciate your um, explanation about, you know, taking off your feet and the ground. We also think of, you know, closing our eyes and listening in air, um, water, water has such yeah. a calming effect. The sound of water. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love to walk beside a beach and just hear the waves. You know, I could sit yeah. there for hours. My goodness, if I could have had a house on the beach, it just would have been oh, so much more mentally um, healthy, I think. Oh, yeah. And, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There, I'm sure there's things we have no idea yet. Um, so it's just, I mean, for me doing this work, it's just constantly unfolding the, the deeper and deeper levels of this magicalness that is our connection with nature. And, and to see that, like kids, 
they already know it. They they know it innately. Um, and they can connect with the magic of nature so much more quickly than we can as adults. As adults, we've gotten away from it. And so to see children out in like my sensory garden or out in a uh, you know a nature-based play area and watching them get in tune with nature and get curious and get wondering and wonderful and imaginative and all of these things is I, it, it doesn't get any better than that for me. I love it too. Okay. Uh, you just mentioned, I was going to ask you what your favorite multi-sensory nature play features are. You just mentioned a sensory garden. Can I just close yeah. my eyes and I want to envision what that looks like. <laughs> so I built one at my home for my kids. They're, they're uh, twin daughters. They're eight years old. And so I started building one when they were two and a half. And so my sensory garden has um, lots of sensory plantings. It's very lush. It has one of the biggest features is a sensory path, which is a pathway constructed out of different materials like log cookies, flagstones, stone mosaics, brick pavers, like everything you can think of. I've salvaged concrete curbing um, and it's gorgeous and it's so fun. And so I've got cozy spaces, a mud room or a mud kitchen, a fairy garden space that we <laughs> um, really created a, as a destination. We've got a, a wire gazebo over it now and a, and a it looks like crystal, but it's a plastic beaded chandelier thing hanging from it. And But it's, the kids go out there and they get lost. They literally get lost in their activities. They're looking for roll of holies. They're finding praying mantis, the <laughs> honeybees. They follow honeybees from flower to flower. I mean, it's just, it's just so much fun to watch them out there. But, you know, if, if you wanted to create a sensory space at your own home or, or anyone listening here, it's going to look different from mine because it's really based on what your kids their sensory needs, any any challenges they might be experiencing, and what they love to do. So oh, and the imagination. Yeah. I could just I'm just imagining what it must they go out there and just, you know, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. 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 And then they bring their friends over and it's a whole, whole, whole new thing, you know? Because their friends are like, oh my gosh, you know, and there I've got a magnifying station and a nature loom and and climbing uh, logs. And I built it all myself. And, 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 and so I, that's what I do with my business is I teach folks how to do the same thing. Oh, wow. And I think about the interactions, the communication that occurs, you know, the give and take, yeah. the listening, the, hey, that's a great idea. Oh, let's try this instead. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, check out what I found over here. Come over here. Yeah. One of the funny stories uh, a couple of years ago. Um, oh, my gosh. One of the youngest daughter comes running to me in the house. She's like, oh, my gosh, mom, look what I found out in the, and they know all the names of the plants, which is awesome. Look what I found out in the Autumn Joy Sedums. We go outside. And in the sedum, which is kind of a, it's a perennial that's about, you know, 18 inches tall. She found, she's like, it's magical rainbow tape. And quite literally, there was this like paper thin tape running up the sides of these sedum plants and across the top. And there were also ladybugs all over the place. And so what we realized was that the slugs creating their slime trails had actually (laughs) crawled up the sedum and all over the place. What and a discovery. So, oh my gosh. Yeah, it was gorgeous. Um, and so the kids, as they're as they're sitting and talking about and brainstorming what could have happened, what they what they decided, what the, the slugs in their apparently they're they're very kind creatures created these um rainbow bridges, these rainbow these rainbow trails for the ladybugs, so that the ladybugs wouldn't have to crawl down the sedum and up the other stalk and then down again. And so they made these, this magical rainbow tape for the, for the ladybugs because they have really short legs. So if you don't mind, I just want to share something because we, we, yeah. we've been taking our kids camping. i my, my oldest was three months old and there's so many memories. All the cousins got together. This was a big thing. The six, you know, six siblings, all the cousins, they all know each other because of these annual uh, weekly excursions. And one time we were all just sitting around together and the kids were hanging out. It was late afternoon. And oh, I, I'm not going to use the right terminology, but it was a hornet or something like that. Mm-hmm. A caterpillar was crawling across. Anyway, scooped it up, paralyzed this caterpillar. And then we oh watched for, oh, probably an hour where I want to say hornet, correct me if I'm wrong, buried the caterpillar. And then we researched, well, what's going to happen in this poor caterpillar and what's the future? And it was just one of those learning moments. And there were so many of them just because we were there when it was happening. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, it was I mean, wild. I, 
I can't imagine what was going on in your kid's head. Like, I really want to save that caterpillar, but let's see what happens. Yeah. And that hornet still has to eat. And then they would watch the antlions. They just sit there and watch the antlions. You yes. know, there's a place yeah. where, oh, it was just incredible. So all these yeah. experiences, they're just, they're so meaningful and bring, and bring great memories for the future too. Yeah. Yeah. And, you and mentioned the, the name, realized- what'd you say? You said, uh, whatever you said, the name of that plant was, I've never heard it before. Oh. And your two eight-year-old twins are. <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty good. They, they're, they're pretty good. Uh, oh, yeah, boy. they know the difference between all sorts of different plants. They know quite a few names. Okay, so let's let's take nature play out of our own personal, you know, uh, worlds, or, mm-hmm. and and move them into uh, public spaces. Let's just let's start with the park, and then I want to take you after the break into classrooms and schools. So, okay. what 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 could a local community park look like? Um, where you know, uh, my municipality, we have I don't know four or five green spaces, we call them. They have playground yeah. instructor. Uh, we have a butterfly garden. Um, we have a horticultural um, society that is doing that type of plant. I'm forgetting the name of the, it's not a sensory garden, but it's like a pollinator. Pollinator. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, sure. What can we, what could we be thinking about in public spaces? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and it's happening more and more in public spaces. There's some really fantastic nature play playgrounds, um, both in Canada and U.S. and around the world. Uh, and so they can be parts of, or they can be crafted similarly to what we think of as a playground, where there's, you know, structures, to cl- natural structures to climb on and, you know, fall zone surfacing, that sort of thing. There can be water play areas as part of that. Um, but like you say, I mean, if there's something like sensory gardens, and something like pollinator gardens where it's different because not all kids want big, crazy jumping off, climbing up, sliding down sorts of movements. Some kids want to literally walk trails and explore and, and that sort of thing. And so if we have a variety and again, what adults enjoy, kids can enjoy as well. We just have to tailor a few things, but if we can balance more greenery with the playground space, that to me is a win. Um, because if it's all just playground structure and resilient surfacing, they're missing out on so much uh, sensory value, nature connection, et cetera. Um, Things like rock gardens that will attract yeah. or, you know, um, plants that will, you know, yeah. I remember another, another memory is all going on a trail. And uh, my husband's oldest brother is a biologist. And he said, when you see ferns, look underneath the ferns, because that's where you're going to see. So then from then on, my youngest son, every time he saw, saw a fern, he had to look, you know, put it back, of course. But, you know, what's underneath yeah. there? I um, bet those took you a long time to walk those trails. Well, there was an intention. It wasn't about it was it was yeah. really everybody kept trying to keep them quiet so we could listen to things. Yeah. It was a little bit different, but <laughs> sure, that's it was the excitement in the air. And that's all that matters. Yeah. 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 And so and also just what if we didn't manicure everything? What yeah. if we left some things more wild? Mm. You know, and I, I think the earth would appreciate that as well. There was so a, there was we, a movement here uh, not to cut your grass for, I can't remember, in the spring, you know, just oh, let it sure. grow, let the dandelions grow, let nature take its course. And uh, I have, I had trouble with it. I had trouble with it. Some people embrace it, but I had trouble with it. Yeah. That whole manicured <laughs> yeah. look, but I hear what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. But I mean, if there's a, if there's a wooded area and, and this could be urban, mm suburban, rural, whatever, uh, you know, a wooded area. What if you left the majority of that or or places that were really cool and just has lots of variety is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. What if those spaces were literally left alone or enhanced in minimal ways so that the, uh, the natural environment can show off, you know, and then we can yeah. connect with, with, uh, you know, wild nature in more, uh, developed areas. I think, I think that would be a really wonderful value. And also we are creating so many places that we have to maintain and put fertilizer on and put pesticides on. And I am totally against those sorts of chemicals in our environments because they're really horrible for us and our kids and everything else. We have a lot of that is banned here. Um, But one of the best things we've done, I think in my, in actually in Southern Ontario, um, the railway lines that have been taken out have become nature paths. And of Ooh. course, there's a path for us to walk or ride our bikes. There's no motorized, nothing like that is allowed on it. People are doing the motorized scooters and stuff, but I mean, oh, sure. and and other than the path itself, what's happening on the side out along is totally, totally let go. Like, Lovely. And so we've seen deer and 
um, you know, the turtles in the, in the, in the spring, when they're starting to, you know, uh, you can hear the bullfrogs as you walk by. I think it's brilliant. So that no, those trails aren't being made into developments. They're being left alone and they're connected. You can actually walk from one end to my County all the way to the other end of my County. Awesome. Incredible. Yeah. We have a quite a long trail here. I think it's over a hundred plus miles long here in Spokane that goes from Spokane, Washington, to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho and beyond. Wonderful. So okay. yeah, it's great. It's great. Well, we're going to head off for break. We're coming back with Jenna uh, and we're going to delve into, you know, as we're administrators, school leaders, system leaders, when we talk about schools, your classroom as a teacher, support staff, what, whatever role you're in, what can we do that, you know, is, is cost efficient, but actually brings nature to the forefront. We'll be right back. Our children are growing up in a world that is more complex than ever. It's time to start thinking proactively. Meet Zerko and the children who glow in the color they are feeling because they haven't learned to control their emotions yet. In the Power of Thought Children's series, we're not only teaching children about emotional vocabulary, but how to recognize how they are feeling and what they can do about it. We live on an imaginary planet called Tezra, where every character is named after a crystal. Each of the five books in the series takes children into a situation they can relate to, but teaches problem-solving skills and evidence-based strategies they can use for life. This series was developed in collaboration with clinicians, educators, parents, and guardians, and it's the winner of the Mom's Choice Award. Check it out at lynnmclaughlin.com under the Books tab. You are listening to Taking the Helm with host Lynn McLaughlin. Now, let's get back to the show. And we're back with Jenna Ponty-Jockis. And we've been talking about the importance of nature for children developmentally. We learned that we have seven senses, actually even more, and delve more into what that looked like uh, previous to the break. Jenna, we've talked about so many benefits, but there must be hidden ones as well for children that we really don't think about. What are some of them? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. And I'll tell you, Lynn, the, the more I do this work, the more I realize how deeply healing these children's environments can be for the kids that are using them, of course, but also anyone else who's in there, the uh, the parents, the teachers, um, any caregivers, anybody. Um, and, and the more I realize this, the more I want to share. And I'm so glad you asked me that question because um I could talk about two ways that I think your that your listeners will will really relate with because they're on the forefronts of a lot of our minds right now, as edu- educators and parents. Um, first of all, the the physical healing that takes place is actually quite literal. Um, I we talked about a little bit about um, the concept of grounding, um, and so being outside in the fresh air and physical contact with the ground, soil, sand, water, um, plant material, literally heals our body. Um, that, that frequency that the earth gives off, we're designed to take that in, and that is physically healing. But also, I talk a lot about the health of our nervous system and our children's nervous system. And when kids are outside doing all these things, the their nervous system is actually being repaired because there's a lot of damage that goes on in our, all of our daily lives for kids, you know, um, you know, stress, you know, stress that comes in from, from all different things. Maybe there's a bully, maybe they're having trouble learning. Maybe there's some trauma happening at home or wherever. There's a lot of things that can do harm to children's nervous system, lack of sleep. Maybe they're eating crummy foods. All of these things do damage over time to the nervous system. And so when they're outside, their nervous system is actually in active repair. And it's amazing because, you know, in my opinion, our nervous system is our most important thing that we need to take care of both for our kids and for ourselves. And so when we go outside and spend time with them, our nervous system is being repaired as well from all of those stresses that go on in our daily life. So it's really beautiful. Um, and then the second, um, the second deeply healing aspect of sensory rich natural play and learning spaces is the socio-emotional aspect. And man, right now in today's day and age, 
we're leaning towards social distancing. We're, we're going so much into screen time and all these things that take us away from the beautiful connections that we all need to have, and especially kids. We're, we're seeing it in mental health and counseling and trauma and all of these things. But these spaces, when they're intentionally designed and intentionally used, they can bring children um, choice in how they socially connect. Maybe, maybe they're, um, you know, maybe they're having a rough day and they need a cozy space to go self-regulate. That's still social connection because you're connecting with yourself and you're healing mm-hmm. in the world space. Maybe you need time to play with a buddy or to connect with a parent or your teacher or a counselor. There's lots of opportunities to do that, depending on what kind of features you have in these spaces. And then if you've got a child who's a social butterfly and really thrives in that group activity um, scenario, then there's lots of opportunities to really create those meaningful connections and experiences in group activities like playing in a mud kitchen with a bunch of kids or having a picnic with your with your caregiver and and your friends. I mean there's there's so much social emotional healing that goes on. Counselors can take kids outside and work through traumas in these environments and be have much more beautiful effective results on the other side because they did it in a more natural space. And so my goal really in the work that I do is to invite people to open up to this immense and profound value that these spaces really offer. They're not just for, you know, play and learning with, with lowercase P's and, and L's. I mean, these are really profound spaces for children's healing. So I, I do think about those circumstances where I, you know, I took children out for a walk around the playground, around the yards, you know, to help them cool down. And, you know, nine times out of 10, that was successful when we could be in a safe place. Right. Um, yeah. And I guess in retrospect, I probably could have done that more often. There's always restrictions. There's always things happening, five things happening at the same time. Right. Yeah. And don't we all feel it? Go for a walk, sit outside. It's immediately calming for me. I hope for other people. I guess the question is if we can shut off our brains, our minds, I guess Uh, I'll use that word. We've talked about the senses and being able to explore all of those, but we've got to shut down all those thoughts that are just whirling all the time. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's so beneficial. It. Mm-hmm. I want to jump in now, Jenna, to classrooms, to schools. Like how, what can we be thinking of to bring sensory rich nature play as an integral part of kids' experience? Oh, yeah, that, that question, Lynn, makes me think of programming first mm. and teacher education, teacher, uh, you know, support where we can um, really support. I mean, there's a lot of teachers who are, exceptionally gifted in bringing kids outside and, and having wonderful learning moments and, and this sort of thing and being really able to use nature as a co-collaborator in the, in the learning experience. Um, but there's a lot of teachers that might be a little overwhelmed or intimidated um, or hesitant about really engaging with the outside environment as an outdoor classroom, learning lab, learning space. Um, and so I think... <laughs> Number one, there needs to be a lot more teacher support in that realm. Um, and then two, we absolutely need to kind of reimagine the school environment and really consider outside environments as equal learning spaces to indoor environments and really start to shift time that's spent indoors to outdoors, but to have outdoor spaces that really support the school's program in all sorts of different ways at every level from um, curriculum learning to counseling, to outdoor lunches, to um, free play time, kind of um, unprogrammed time um, and more. So, um, and, and, you know, with each school, every school has a different culture. They have programs. It might be state or federally mandated programs, but some schools might have their own specific curriculum, but so outdoor environments should absolutely support that school's culture and curriculum so that it is easy to use that space or spaces for learning and events and and all sorts of other things that go on in schools. So in Ontario, 
uh, let's say a new school is being built or there's a renovation, it's all mandated through the, it's all funded through the Ontario government, right? Mm -hmm. And they're putting in trees and grass and that's about it. But here, we do fundraising for a lot of different things in schools and um, school councils also do fundraising every year. So if we think about what can an outdoor learning, I think about boulders as outdoor boulders surrounded by trees, you know, off in a corner. And that also is a, a, a place where kids can go at recess time and just explore naturally or, you know, sit there and be quiet. Your intermediate students where you're always trying to find a place for them to hang out. What a natural way right. to do it. So it, I, and I, and I want to go back to what you said about curriculum, because, yeah, we do as educators, we've got that curriculum. We have to we have to meet those outcomes. And I think about kindergarten, outdoor play as part of the curriculum. And then maybe we get into community, understanding our community, and we go for a community walk. But there are lots of opportunities where we can take what we're teaching outside, Yeah, outside. I think about winter here in Canada, you know, like <laughs> yeah. snowballs and snowmen, and what can we create? And how do we design it ahead of time? And you pull in your math and your science and all of those kinds of things. Um, but it's the natural exploration that that if we think about it as school leaders or or people who are fundraising, what are the potentials to bring this to the forefront in our, in our grounds, our school grounds? Yeah. Yeah. Um, part of it is just a shift of thinking and being, um, thinking in terms of multiple uses. So an example I give, and this happened at a school that I worked with, um, you know, every school has to deal with stormwater, like runoff from the roof, runoff from the mm-hmm. parking lot, et cetera. And what we did was recreated a rain garden and we built the learning lab around this rain garden, which was a piece of infrastructure the school needed anyway. Sometimes it's just piped into the ground and shot out into the storm drain system. But they got some funding through our state and they turned this stormwater way into this beautiful rain garden. And it had pathways and magnifying station and it had um, journaling platforms that I designed, which were like, you know, seat height four foot by four foot platforms that the kids sit in all different ways on. They can put their, their notebooks down and write. They can sit there with their friends. And so it, it truly was a, a space that could be used for curriculum in all sorts of uh, different topics, reading, writing, you know, art, everything. But it was also a space that became, um, and this is for an elementary school, um, a space for this chatting and talking and hanging out with their little buddies. And then the counselor would bring some of the students she was working with outside into this space. And, you know, she'd work with them on, on, you know, what they're dealing with, you know, that maybe they're dealing with some challenges from their home life and she'd have them, but they would start to pull weeds and she would talk to them about how every, every now and then you need to go through your garden. And I put air quotes around garden. You need to go through your garden. You need to pull out what you know, the weeds in life, uh-huh. what you don't prefer. And so she used the garden as this really beautiful metaphor for this child's trauma that they were working through. And uh, this woman is, must be very effective because it made me want to cry. And so and I mean, as so, I'm feeling right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so, you know, just a simple space, just a stormwater soil turned into a rain garden can have yeah. so many benefits. And so if you look around your school, and say, well, this we have to have this. This is a piece of in- infrastructure. How can we reimagine it? How can we make this a multiple-use thing? And so then you're really maximizing your school environments because some schools don't have a lot of green space. Some schools have ample green space. But really, when you're talking about outdoor classrooms, you really want to locate them in the in the best possible location so that they can be their most successful, so that they're their most used, and they're easily maintained. And so that there's there's kind of a dance when you do uh, designing for for school environments. All of these different considerations go into it. But, you know, it's just you can really create some really effective learning spaces when you get your groups together, your school groups, your PTAs, your parents, uh, administrators, people who in the community who are want to be involved. Maybe you have some parents who are skilled craftspeople that can help out and you can really make beautiful um effective learning spaces in this sort of collaboration. Absolutely brilliant. Oh my gosh, my mind is just running here. And then of course my administrator hat, well, what about this? You know, <laughs> but there's always a solution. And if COVID didn't teach us anything, we found very unique solutions. Many of them we would not <laughs> right. redo, but we still found solutions. So I think about, and I remember this as a school principal and we had gardens 
um, plant our gardens, you know, we're going to plant vegetables, we're going to plant fruits. And then we also tried to do perennials. And it was wonderful while the kids were at school, but in Ontario in July and August, they're gone. So then it became a, who's going to take care of this. And then we started to do who's, we're going to put them in little containers and take them home. You can take care of them at home. You can, you know, those kinds of things. And sometimes, sometimes though, that blocks us and says, well, we can't do that because, but there's always a way around it. There's always a way around it. Sometimes the answer is no, but there's, you know, you know, security things or those kinds of things, but those are more logical as opposed to saying, yeah, wait a minute, let's think about this. You know, it's, it's also interesting when I think about our, in, in the board that I retired from the person who was in charge of facility services and new school designs and builds created a blueprint of designs for kids with special education needs, specifically mobility needs who needed accessibility. And that blueprint changed as we learned, as we learned, you know, how do we do this in this environment? How do we do that? And now we have something that's designed that works for every single school that is tweaked but and changed, but it's from a system perspective. It's not individual school saying, what can I do? What can I do? Wouldn't this be wonderful if from a system perspective, we said, how can we make this happen? And I know in Ontario, very much outdoor learning spaces is the way people are going with pathways into school spaces, but I've never thought of a rain garden. I mean, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. yeah. Hap- that happens all the time here in Washington state, especially on the West side where it's very rainy. Um, well, we get a little bit of everything here. So <laughs> yeah. sun, what can yeah. we do about, about intense sun and humidity? There's lots of shade. things I'm sure we can do. <laughs> yep. Yep. Got to have shade. Yeah, and how no, do we do that? that? We think about trees, but I bet you there's a whole bunch of different ways that people, kids could experiment yeah. and say, how do we create shade? Yeah. Yeah. We've, uh, I mean, some great solutions are uh, shade sails, which can be taken down uh, during the heavy winter months. Um and, and shade sails actually work wonderfully for rain situations too. Um, so you can take them out if it's, you know, raining outside, they can still go outside. Yeah. Um, and we've done some small outdoor classroom, like shelter structures. Um, you know, trees, absolutely plant as many trees as you can, but it does take a long time for them to mature, to give meaningful shade. And so you have to provide something in the meantime. So wow. shade sails are, are fantastic and, and, and much needed. All right. Well, let's talk about your Facebook group. So my goodness, what you put out there. So anybody who has any questions about what does this look like? Where could I possibly start? Jenna, what yeah. do they find when they go and visit your group? Oh, oh yeah. I've got a fun Facebook group. Um, it's relatively new and I'm really excited about it. So on there, I talk a lot about, I dive in on each of the seven physical senses. And so I really would like people to understand um, how fascinating they are and and then once they start to understand it they can see it in their kids and they can appreciate that in the educational setting and 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 so forth um i do a monthly and i would invite anyone um i do a monthly kind of quick consult where i take a look at someone's space and i talk about the value it's already bringing because we need to pat ourselves on the back we're trying really hard but where there might be opportunities to grow and bring in more sensory value. And oftentimes, more often than not, it's very simple. Uh, It might be adding an accessory here and there or beefing up a certain place um, within their environment. Um, And then I just, I like, I like to show people what these spaces can look like, like I do before and afters. Um, And, and that can be yeah, it can be really eye-opening. Like, wow, I didn't realize we could do that in this little space because there's so many obstacles, but I don't, the time to do it. I talk about how it doesn't require a lot of time. I talk about, it's not really that expensive. I talk about, you don't really need a huge backyard or a huge um, play site at your center. You can do really amazing things in small spaces. So I like to kind of debunk those myths as we go, because I don't, I want to take away those obstacles because this can be so easy to do. So I, you know, I'm listening to you in these, we talked earlier about, you know, possibilities for schoolyards. My goodness, I hadn't thought of any of those things. Being able to see the before and after must be so helpful for people to say, oh, like you just said, I never would have thought of that. It's so simple. It's a $10. Like, I think that's incredible because it allows us to think outside of our, the restraints of our own, I think outside the box, I guess, is the expression. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want people to start saying yeses. What ifs? What ifs? What if we did that yeah, instead of it's it's too expensive? But what if it's not? What if we could do it in a way that is budget friendly and 
maybe it entices more parents to to bring their kids to your facility, to your center, rather than someone else's. Uh-huh. So it's it, it's really also a way, like if you have a child care center, then it's a way to set yourself apart from everyone else because you are able to show them what you're doing and the value that their kids will have when they're at your center. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's really lovely. All in one place. You know, we've got forest schools. I think we've talked about this already, but mm-hmm. you know, forest yeah. schools, a half a day a week, or I just think it just has so many possibilities. And I'm so appreciative of you for starting this movement. And you know, what you explained about you know, you were originally thinking about how how do we support kids with autism, but essential for some, good for all, still applies, yes. right? Yeah, uh, it sure does. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, have you spoken directly with any child care providers who shared specific experiences of the difference it's made for their their children in their care? Um, I have. I have. Um, you know, and I've gotten all sorts of wonderful feedback. Um there's a a, a gal in town here who's the executive director for a um uh, a, a nature center that's part of a school system and she's we put in a sensory pass she's like oh my gosh jenna i didn't realize kids could move in so many different ways uh-huh. you know rather than walking and you know doing you know walking through the space or maybe they run through the space they're skipping they're moving sideways they're they're bursting out loud laughing you know and it's it just um it's it's so fun to hear the stories. There's another story about a school in, in Pullman, Washington that I worked with where there was a child who he's on the spectrum. He had some trauma at home and he was, he was struggling so hard in class and he was a second grader at the time. And while we were out working on designing the project, I'd be standing outside with some of the staff or we were building our first piece. He'd come busting out the door. And then there would be like this, his parapro or whoever would be running after him because this kid likes to bust out the door when he doesn't want to do something. Mm-hmm. Well, this same child, once they got the um, greenhouse going and they're planting seeds, this same child who couldn't count in school was counting by fives and tens and threes and all sorts of things as he was planting his little seeds in the ground. And he was focused and he was happy and he was healing. He just didn't know it. And so I I get stories like that. And it's just, it makes my heart just want to burst because I love, I love the work that I do. And I love, I love giving people the information so that they can do these things themselves as well. And so it just grows and grows and grows. Oh, I love it. I love it. Thank you very much for that very concrete example. I love that. I I like to give people specific examples of where it has been successful. And like you say, for a low cost and that child, now that one child has been affected that way and how many others can be as well for something, something that's not that complex or not that complicated to do. Absolutely. And it's a ripple effect. He's going to carry that into adulthood and it will ripple out into his life and other people. And so it's not just that one moment and child. Yeah, it's a ripple effect. Oh, and we think about pollinator gardens and all of those things now. Uh, But I really have to be honest with you. I didn't start thinking about those things until I, you know, saw some things about our local horticultural society and what they were doing. Um, But thinking about it in terms of the context of our own home and not it's in the community, it's in the schools, it's in child care centers. We can do it in our own space. Yep, absolutely. And the more of it, the better. The more of it, the better. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm sure our listeners have many, many more questions. And I understand that you're about to start a course. Yes. Yeah. I'm working on an on-demand, fully online course that that folks will be able to learn about. It's called Sensory Rich Nature Play Essentials. And it walks, uh, it will walk you through um, the importance of supporting the nervous system. It walks through in depth all of these seven senses we talked about earlier today, mm-hmm. and then um, gives you some ideas like how to view di- different nature play and learning features and spaces as multisensory. So it gives you a new lens to look through when you're looking at your play and learning space to see that sensory value. And then uh, one of the big modules is. How do you do this? How do you, if you've got a place that you're starting from scratch, if you have a space that you already have built, but want to enhance it, how do you go about doing it? How do you go about doing it? So it's um, cost effective. So it saves you time um, so that you know that you're going about it in a way that's going to be most effective and successful for both you 
and the kids that are in your care. And so that will be out in, um, in September. And, and I love how you described it earlier. You've been working on yours for six years and it just yes. evolves, right? And it your kids evolve. are very much a part of it now. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And if you can involve the kids, so much the better, because it's not just about the end result of having that finished play space. There is so much learning potential and opportunities for you and them and your kids if you involve them in the process, because it it's they learn so much by being part of the say and what goes in, like generating ideas to um, putting it down on paper. Maybe they can draw some images um, to actually installing or, or building some of these pieces. Maybe you're doing a nature loom. Well, how can the kids be involved in, with building that? Um, and so there's so much potential as you go through your creation or enhancement of your play and learning space. How can you involve those kids in it? Because it's so, it, it empowers them. It gives them skills and, and so many other things that happen when they are involved with, with projects like this. And I understand that you're offering our listeners a discount code. I am. I'm going to, I'm going to put a discount code for 10% off of this course. Um, and so I will, Lynn, I'll provide you the, the discount code that you can include in your podcast. So, okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. And how can people find you, Jenna? So, um, my website is n is for natureplay.com. You can find me there and you can contact me through my site. Um, I'm also on Facebook. If you just search for n is for nature play, um, I, I have a business page there, but I also would invite your listeners to be a part of my private Facebook group called sensory rich nature play. And that's where all the action's happening. That's where uh, there's ideas being shared. I'm even walking through one of my new group members has uh, sent me some pictures of her new space. And so I'm going to do a little uh, like three minute walkthrough on some ideas that she could include in her space. So, so there's, there's lots of fun happening there. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you yeah. so much for inspiring us to think differently. Uh, even if we've got curiosity going to, I'll take a walk around my yard. My kids are grown there, but maybe, maybe someday I'll have grandbabies here. Take a walk <laughs> around my yard and say, you know, what's that corner, that corner potentially that I was going to redo this summer might look differently yeah. now. Well, Lynn, the thing is that, that all of us, no matter what age we are, we all need sensory environment. So, you know, what is good for you at, at age, whatever you are adult yeah. is, is going to be good for your kiddo. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Jenna. You're welcome, Lynn. Thank you so much. Our next guest is going to be Teresa Alexander Inman. She is a highly qualified parent coach with experience in the fields of infant toddler development, play-based interventions, behavior analysis, and acceptance commitment therapy. In her signature program, she believes that learning should be fun and involve the whole family and or village. She's also the author of How Can I Help My Child Communicate, an international speaker and trainer. Teresa is a beacon of hope for parents seeking freedom from stress, frustration, guilt, and doubt. And she's helping families who have children with autism or other learning differences. Let's check our compass and learn what we need to as we empower our children to face those ups and downs of life, and they're surely going to come. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Taking the Helm. We hope that Lynn and her guests have provided valuable insights on how to create a safe emotional space for children and youth that empowers them to be their best selves. It starts with us at home and in our communities. Until we talk again, be well.